Welcome into the Talking Tide podcast on the Pigskin Podcast Network. I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News and the weekly co-host of Crimson Cover Television on WVUA 23. I'm joined, as always, by Travis Ryer, the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com. Talking Tide, of course, available to you wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. You can catch us live on Facebook and YouTube and, of course, uh, the Twitter feed is talking underscore tide. You can get quick links to all of our podcasts through that Twitter feed. Give us a like and subscribe on YouTube as well. We want to thank a couple of sponsors quickly. Peter Brook, Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa and DraftKings. More on them a little later in the program. Travis, uh, here on this Sunday nighter uh, on tap, we're going to discuss Alabama's road win over the Auburn Tigers. Quite a, uh, a game, a game Alabama fell behind on. Uh, early uh, and uh, was able to pull away late. We'll get into that. We'll talk a little Super Bowl, maybe talk a little Texas OU coming to the SEC just a smidge early. Uh, but of course, we begin, Travis, with the Crimson Tide moving to 12 and 0 in SEC play in basketball. Hard to believe. Uh, 22 and 3. They beat Auburn uh, down on the Plains. Uh, it was my first time covering a basketball game at Auburn. Uh, so I was uh, uh, excited just to kind of soak in the atmosphere down there. It's quite a venue. The students so much on top of the court. Uh, and uh, it's uh, quite a place to see a game. They really put together a nice arena down there for sure. Uh, but uh, Alabama pulls this one out 77-69. to uh, Traded baskets with Auburn, Travis, for most of the way. Uh, they end up pulling away late. Auburn went cold from the field late. I think they made one of their last 10 field goal attempts, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and Ryland Griffin off the bench to lead the team in scoring. Yeah, Ryland Griffin is in the stretch now of four or five games where he has been elite coming off the bench. And you said it, did it again on Saturday, 16 points for the freshman, three of five from three on a day where Alabama goes six of 21 from beyond the arc. So when you really look at it from a statistical standpoint, Auburn got pretty much everything it wanted, right? Alabama shoots a low percentage on 21 attempts from three. Alabama makes just 13 to 23 free throw attempts. Um, the Tigers go 22 of 26 from the free throw line, but Alabama made it up from two. And that's not something we, we typically talk about as much. Uh, we talk about free throws. We talk about threes. Um, but 10 more two-point baskets, and that goes back to points in the paint. Alabama just uh, with a wide margin there over the Tigers, 44-20 to 20 after really getting worked in the paint by Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith and those guys on the planes a year ago. And that's where Alabama needed to make up the difference and kind of hang around until those last five or six minutes when, as you said, Ryland Griffin on both sides of the floor was huge. And let's give some credit to Mark Sears, too. Um, Brandon Miller, not his best game, but had some big moments for sure. And, you know, I thought Charles Bediaco even down the stretch, some good stuff defensively, some good stuff on the backboards. Um, I thought Auburn got the type of officiated game it could have wanted chase. And, uh, but at the end of the day, when it came down to Auburn, actually having to make some shots, uh, the Tigers weren't able to do it. And Alabama gets out of there. Yeah. Auburn came out and played some really tight perimeter defense, Travis, not just early, but pretty much throughout the game. It was pretty obvious the game plan was to take away the three-pointer almost at all costs, I thought. I mean, Alabama's 
uh, Alabama had some guards and some wings who were setting up uh, and moving, of course, without the ball, but five feet behind the three-point line in some cases, in, in some cases, the defender was still right in their shorts. And the answer to that is you go to the rim, right? Offensively, no question. If somebody's going to extend their defense that much, you got to make them pay at the rim. Alabama was able to do that uh, slashing with the guards. Obviously, they were able to get uh, the ball in, inside of some bigs, and uh, they ended up getting it done that way. But that was that was as aggressive a three-point defense uh, as I've seen from an Alabama opponent this season. And I get it because if Alabama does get going from three, it really is the difference in a team like Auburn hanging around like it did and getting maybe work to the tune of 15 or 20 points. Because when you look at what Alabama had done in, say, the last three games from three, uh, I think they were averaging like 15.7 makes per game. And you look at the differential and score in those games, uh, if Alabama does that, it, it's going to be a blowout type of situation a lot of nights in this year's SEC especially. So Auburn absolutely wanted to run Alabama off the line. They paid for it in the paint. Uh, I thought Auburn put a lot of it in the officials' hands. I thought it was not a poorly officiated game, but certainly Auburn got the whistles it was hoping to get. You know, a guy like Wendell Green Jr., so adept at drawing foul calls, not just in terms of penetrating and driving to the bucket, but you saw it even from the perimeter on some jump shots or jump shots. They really weren't jump shots. They were foul uh, draw attempts, and, and they worked for them. And, and give Auburn credit for that. But when the whistle sort of dried up there down the stretch, it became even more obvious that this Auburn team couldn't score unless it could get to the free throw line. Right, right. And to sit, like I said, it was my first time in the building covering a basketball game. Uh, to sit in there, you definitely got the opposite sense as far as the, the, the fans. And, then, of course, the fans never like the officiating when it doesn't go their way, no matter where you're at. Uh, but the Auburn fans were all over the officials, uh, I thought, for a lot of for a good portion of the game, whether it was uh, merited or otherwise. I know there was one particular play where – Brandon Miller got away with a little bit of a push to get himself free for a layup. And uh, I think it was with about uh, 702 or so left in the first half. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, boy, they, they about blew the roof. They about blew the roof off the place on that one. Yeah. And again, I think that was the kind of game Auburn needed. It needed to win the battle at the free throw line, um, be able to be somewhat handsy on the perimeter in dealing with Alabama's guards, because if you're going to try to run them off the line, you're going to give up some potential blow-bys. Um, and if you do put everything, or not everything, but a lot of your kind of hopes and your chances of winning a game, uh, if you get that to your benefit for 35, 37 minutes, and then in the final five minutes you don't, uh, I can get being upset with that. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I, I thought – Thought Jaden Bradley's performance was worth note as well, Travis. He really got to the basket well. Strong kid. Um, he is incredible finishes. I mean, it's almost it's a little Colin Sexton like the way he can kind of bully Chris his Paul. way in there and, yeah. and and yeah, kind of create the contact and and get it in there. I, I think uh, I can't I, help but think of Chris Paul when I watch this guy. 
I mean, body right. type, a lot of those things. Um, you know, all that's missing right now is I wouldn't even say it's a jump shot that's missing or a three point shot that's missing. It's just, he doesn't really have to do it, especially for this team. But when you start thinking about down the road, assuming he's back for another year and some of these guys move on, that's going to be the evolution that has to take place. And I think he's got it in him. It's just, they don't really need it from him on this team, but yeah, man, just getting to the rim, like you said, and finishing in some ways that you're just like, I'm not sure how he did that. Yeah, he, he's a strong – I trust him. And, and, look, Mark Sears has shown he can get to the rim. So has Quinterly. Quinterly's a quickness guy, right? He's He's got to beat his man. But if he does, it's a it's a clean layup as long as the help's a little late. Uh, but overall, between the three of them, Bradley, Sears, Quinterly – if you've got to if you've got to make a play and you're trying to make it at the end of a game in a clutch moment, give me Bradley uh, in terms of just being able to put it in the hole uh, on a contested play at the rim. He can get it done. Yeah, he can. And I thought the previous three or four games maybe not quite as effective. You had seen Javon really step forward, and Javon's minutes had gone back to sort of starter status in the last four or five games, and deservedly so. Javon wasn't as good Saturday at Auburn, uh, so he plays 11 minutes uh, in the win over the Tigers, and, you know, Jaden plays his 22, but they've got different guys now with Ryland Griffin able to come in, not so much in terms of the point guard position, but defensively, Ryland Griffin can play on the ball, and he's 6'4", 6'5", thought he did some good things himself on Wendell Green Jr. down the stretch, had a nice block shot there of a green attempt from the field um, and Sears too. Yeah. I thought he was pretty heroic in those final 10 minutes Saturday with some of what he was able to give Alabama on the offensive end. Yeah. Sears was big five out of seven from the floor. You mentioned the block shot for Griffin too. And and, and to me, uh, it, there was a, a, a deeper sequence there actually, because he gets that block shot on green it's a nice defensive play on on what would have been a, a two-point jumper and a pretty high percentage two-pointer, I think, for, for Green. Well, after the block, ball goes to, to the other end of floor. Alabama almost turns it over, uh, but they swing it back around to Griffin, and he buries a three-pointer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's almost like a five-point play with the block. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, that three-pointer actually put Alabama ahead. So – Huge sequence there uh, on both ends for Griffin. Yeah, and again, just to have a guy that's 6'4", 6'5", and can shoot it and score like that, but then go down to the other end and play that kind of defense on a 5'10", quick as a hiccup sort of point guard that is drawing fouls at just a phenomenal rate on your other guys, um, that's a that's a luxury you know, that obviously not many college basketball teams uh, have available to them. So, yeah, I thought in the final 10 minutes, some some key sequences. Uh, and it also felt like throughout the game, Alabama was playing uphill. You know, got off to the slow starts really offensively in both halves, to start both halves. Uh, and then would work and push and get to that sort of two-point lead and then struggle to get it beyond there, fall behind again. Um, but what a finish, man. Got the job done late. Brandon Miller, 0 for 7 from three-point range. Alabama just 6 out of 21 from three-point range. We talked about why Auburn's defensive strategy, I think, had quite a bit to do with with all of that regarding Miller and the team as a whole. Uh, But 
you know, you tip your hat to Miller Travis because he found ways to help the team other than just shooting the three. And he had a couple games, I think, uh, earlier in the season in non-conference play um, where if, if, if he was cold from three-point range, um, he didn't seem to get involved so much in other ways early in the year. And this one he does. He picks up six rebounds, ends up with 13 points, three out of four from the free throw line. He got to the rim a little bit, gave out three assists. Uh, he found ways, Travis, to help the team. The plus, he, His plus-minus was – was plus 10. Uh, so, yeah, I, I thought for somebody who couldn't shoot from the outside or couldn't find the stroke, he he found ways to help in other ways. Yeah, he plays 37 minutes. So, his plus minus in an eight-point win probably should be somewhere in that neighborhood. And um, you're right. He's a guy that when it's not going great, it doesn't seem like he presses or – you know, he becomes even more anxious. I did think Alabama, though, you were there. I felt like Alabama was tight in the first half. Just just didn't seem um, as assertive. And, and I say that, you look at the points in the paint, and you say, well, they took it to the rim. Um, I thought it could have been even wider, that number. Um, and, and it's understandable. Again, it was obviously an electrically charged environment. Uh, and, and that speaks, too, to giving Alabama credit for the poise. Uh, because they, they didn't try to press and, and do too much. But, you know, it, it's it's a great thing, man. When you got one of the top five players in the country, if not the top three or the top guy in Brandon Miller, and he can have that kind of game that he had on Saturday. And as you said, he did contribute in other ways on the backboards, had a couple of three assists, played 37 minutes, stayed out of foul trouble. Um, you still got other guys like Bradley, like Quinterly, who had – previous to Saturday, played at a pretty high level for an extended stretch. Uh, Clowney didn't have a, a big game. Coming off that facial injury, as it's been described, against Florida, uh, plays 24 minutes, just three shots from the field, but he does give you seven rebounds. So that's what you like about the makeup of this team. It seems like it's not just Brandon Miller. There are other guys that if they're not getting theirs from a scoring perspective, you're, you're seeing other areas of the box score where they are making an impact. And, and Incredibly some great. areas where there's not statistical, you know, uh, accreditation for that. Yeah, they're so deep. They really are. And and it's it's almost a shame that some, that some of the players who can't seem to get a whole lot of minutes for this team uh, can't get more because you get – I get the feel – look, I mean, we saw it with Ryland Griffin. You kind of if – you, if you paid enough attention to Ryland Griffin when he was only getting eight, ten minutes a game – you knew he could do more if he got the chance, right? Yeah. And I watch Nick Pringle, and I think the same thing. Give him yeah. 20 minutes and watch him get 10 rebounds. You know what I mean? Uh, well, it, think about even Florida with Nick Pringle to go along with Colin Castleton. Mm -hmm. You know, because you go back to the midweek game, we were both there at Coleman Coliseum last Wednesday night, and just looking at those teams on the floor, I mean, Florida just didn't have the dudes. Now, Colin Castleton was great. Don't get me wrong. And he didn't need a lot of help down on the block. But defensively, you know, Florida had no chance in that game. And, and not just because Alabama was so good from three, but physically, the, the presence that you have to have, not only at the five, but, you know, also at the four. Um, Pringle at a Florida, Pringle at a lot of places, no doubt. You're absolutely on it with the impact he would have elsewhere. And, he, and he's still having an impact at Alabama. 
um, it's just not to the extent that he would at a lot of places. Yeah, yeah, he he, he brings it on both ends of the floor, and he's boy, you talk about a guy that can play above the rim too. Gosh, huh. I mean the the hops on Pringle, Travis. It's uh, it's yeah, it's was a, he he his elbows even with the rim if he wants it to be. Yeah, some of the lobs against Florida and some of that stuff. It was it was like Saturday night of All Star Weekend. You know, that's right. It's what it felt like. No doubt about it. All right, the Talking Tide podcast on the Pigskin Podcast Network. Uh, really quick to finish off basketball discussion. Alabama up next, taking on Tennessee on the road in Knoxville. That game's going to be Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Central Time. Tip off uh, your TV broadcast will be uh, ESPN2 slash ESPNU, Travis. So I guess that's one of those when they slash it, that's where they're going to have it. They're going to start it on one channel maybe and then and then finish it on another. There's been a lot of uh, – it seems like there's been a lot of uh, – a lot more overlap with some of these broadcasts this season. And uh, I mean, they picked up some – they picked up some games 12, 13 minutes left in the first half because the game they're showing before is, is running late. But I guess uh, – if you're good enough at that streaming thing, Travis, uh, you, you can always find it. Yeah, and I'm a YouTube TV guy now, and I love it. I, I wouldn't have imagined that like a year and a half ago, but I'll never go back. And yeah. one of the great things about Saturday was the Alabama-Auburn game was being shown on ESPN 4K, which is like mm-hmm. an enhanced edition of High Def. Um, TV. And so the, the 4k channel had it from the start. And even during timeouts, they kept Mm -hmm. it at the arena, you know, on the 4k channel. So that was a, that was a positive. So if you have YouTube TV or you have access to those 4k channels and it happens again, and Alabama happens to be playing, the problem is this was probably the one and only time that was going to be the case for Alabama this year. Um, it, it worked out on Saturday anyway. Yeah, I've been on YouTube TV for about probably two years now, roughly, and I, I, I'm a fan. I'm, I'm not going yeah. back to dishes or any of that no. mess. No, Alba. no. The problem is we got so many kids, you know, that try to get on that account that sometimes I'm watching <laughs> something and I'm getting kicked off. All right. Know, I got a kid in Hawaii. At least she's enjoying the damn show, you know. Meanwhile, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm booted. I'm booted it, from my own my own service is that yeah. device max that yeah. device max would get you every time yeah yes yeah I, I might have a kid or two remember how we had a they had a way for the the satellite tv man back in the day you know they had those pirated mm. cards and some ways to work around that satellite man <laughs> yes, they haven't they did. come up with a way yet to work with the man you're talking about well, at the risk of getting the YouTube TV police coming after both of us, uh, I'll acknowledge that. Yeah, I, I might have a kid or two leaning on uh, leaning on the home account, you know, for a, a device or two, too. But, uh, uh, well, that's where I can't really complain. Yeah, like <laughs> HBO Max or something uh, like that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. All right, the Talking Tide podcast on the Pigskin Podcast Network. Uh, Twitter feed, of course, is talking underscore tide. Uh, Travis and I are going to thank a couple of sponsors for you really quickly. We're going to start uh, by telling you about DraftKings, the NFL 
playoff action continues. Uh, actually, it can it ended with the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Fifty Seven. Uh, of course, Chiefs over the Eagles. We'll talk about that a little later in the program. Uh, but the official sports betting partner of the NFL DraftKings, you can get uh, $200 in free bets with just a $5 bet up front. Uh, easy to do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use promo code TPPN. New customers can bet $5 uh, and get $200 in free bets instantly only at the DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TPPN. Plenty to wager on other than football. Now that football is in the books. And once again, uh, you can do that over at DraftKings with promo code TPPN. Going to tell you about Peter Brook chocolates here. You talk about Super Bowls. Well, it's the Super Bowl of chocolates coming up on Tuesday. Of course, Valentine's Day 2023. We're recording this. We're doing it live on a Sunday night. So that means you still have tomorrow to call ahead and pre-order those strawberries. Trust me, you're going to want to do that. Not like the dot-com strawberries. You can call on Monday. And if you're picking them up on Tuesday, they will be dipped on Tuesday. You don't call Monday and then they dip them and then they sit around for 24, 36 hours until you can get by and get them. Still going to be hand dipped freshly on Tuesday. So give them a call at 205-752-0211. That's Peterbrook Chocolatier in Tuscaloosa, the champions of chocolate out there in its 16th year at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa, Peterbrook Chocolatier. All right. The Talking Tide podcast on the Pigskin Podcast Network. Moving on, Travis, the, uh, uh, Chiefs and Eagles did battle in the Super Bowl. Former Alabama and Oklahoma quarterback Jalen Hurts uh, didn't get the chance that uh, a lot of people wanted him to see uh, at the end of this game. Travis, uh, a chintzy call uh, goes the Chiefs' way and allows them to basically milk the clock for a chip shot field goal. Uh, kind of put a little damper on this game, excitement-wise, I think, for a whole lot of fans, but hey, Patrick Mahomes, what a game for him too. Hurts played fantastic. Uh, Mahomes with a with an ankle that uh, was gimpy in the first half looked better in the second half. I think uh, he might he might have gotten a magic pill or some kind at halftime, but uh, it was a tightly contested game despite the uh, uh, the ho hum finish. And the Rihanna halftime may have helped. Pat Mahomes because they had more time mm -hmm. than they would in a typical NFL halftime. What, about 10 minutes typically that you have for NFL half? That was 30 minutes, but uh, it was worth it. The, the production value alone of uh, Rihanna's pregnancy reveal and the levitation effect was uh, something I'd never seen before. That was a first for me as far as NFL halftime performances are concerned. But, you know, it's an offensive league, man. And so if you don't like it, uh, stop watching. And you know what? <laughs> People aren't going to stop watching. No, they won't. It was one of those calls, the defensive holding penalty, that the old saying, well, you could call that every play. Mm. Well, yeah, just like you could call holding on the offense just about every play, right? But it doesn't get called every play. So if you're not going to call offensive holding in a situation like that, how do you call that at the here's, end of the game? Because here's what it's I defensive. Keep, 
because it's a defensive penalty. It's an offensive game. I've said it a million times in the last years. I said it even after the Alabama-Tennessee game. If I had the choice as a young player, there's no way I would want to play defense. It's already not the, you know, glamour side of the football. And then on on top of that, you've got the rules and the focus so intense on you mm-hmm. not succeeding. Why the hell would you sign up to play defense, especially in the secondary, if you can play running back or wide receiver, good bread? Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. Uh, and at the youth level, I did a big story on this a few years ago. At the youth level, the way it works is everybody – Everybody wants to play wide receiver. Everybody. And the corners end up being the guys who aren't quite good enough, but are good football players. But maybe they're not 6'4", right? Maybe, you know, maybe uh, uh, maybe they can't catch it quite as well or whatever. Uh, but at the youth level, Travis, the corners are the, are, the, are, the, are the reject receivers. That's how it works. And it's really a shame for Patrick Mahomes because you said it. I mean, a second half for all time, especially when you're talking about in that setting. But even with his performance, it's going to be more about the call instead of what he accomplished on a bad ankle. The winners in all this actually are the Eagles. Well, two areas of the Eagles football team anyway, defensively and special teams, because they stunk in the second half. And so now the narrative is going to be up oh, that blown call in mm-hmm. Super Bowl 57. That's all anybody's going to talk about. But the Eagles defense got lit in the second half. And the punt by Sippus was as poor as you'll ever see at the NFL level. When I heard they were activating him after six weeks off for an injury to punt in a Super Bowl. And I know the Eagles like to go for fourth downs. This guy would damn sure have to be good to go for me to activate him after six weeks for the damn Super Bowl, even if he is the punter. Yeah. And it was a poor punt. Uh, Kadarius Tony, the former Gator, sets up, what, a five-yard field for the Chiefs offense there in the second half? So yeah, uh, it's a shame on a multitude of levels. It's also a shame in that this football season, I thought, in terms of the NFL and at the college level especially, the quality of football wasn't great this year. I don't know why. Maybe it's just me. I don't have any analytical or nerdy shit to back that up. But to my eyes, the football was not great throughout the season. You had an opportunity here to end it on a very positive note, but no, you don't. There's no doubt that the Eagles had their chances. You tackled Kadarius Tony. Yes. The punt, the punt needed to be better. The, the coverage needed to be better. Terrible. Uh, that that was that was huge. That was a pop sure. Warner punt. You know, I I think what what drives me nuts about that flag though, Travis, is this. I and I'll come back to this always. To me, I'm a, I, I have I always in any setting, any football game, whatever. I have less of an issue with an official who misses a call and doesn't throw a flag than one who throws a flag at something that's at a ghost and at, at something that's not a penalty. Right. I mean, look, there, there's 22 players out there and not nearly enough refs to see everything. And so there are going to be missed calls, a missed calls, a missed call, right. If a flag should have been thrown and isn't, um, you know, that, that that's, that's football. But 
when you throw one at something that's not a penalty, I don't know. I got a bigger problem with that because mm-hmm. because, because it shouldn't be. If you, you either you either see a penalty clearly or you don't, and I don't know what in the world they saw clearly there. Yeah, and again, we're going to put so much on that call. Um, but at that point, the Eagles had already put themselves in a, in a very tough spot. They Credit had. The Chiefs they had. For a big part of that with the way that they performed in the second half, not just on offense either, but defensively. And you think about even in the first half, the opportunities the Eagles had. The fumble lost by Jalen that's a scoop and score for a defensive touchdown and what that score might have looked like. Now, Jalen also had three rushing touchdowns, a Super Bowl record, and a passing touchdown. So Jalen was really good. Otherwise, you can work that both ways. You can say, well, without Jalen, what does that score look like for, for the the Eagles? But, you know, I, I was surprised. I thought, I thought the Eagles' run game would be more dominant in addition to Jalen. And really, it was quarterback sneaks and Jalen runs that, that worked. Mm-hmm. Um, the Eagles really didn't establish that, that dominance up front with that offensive line. Um, their running backs weren't as effective in the run game. Uh, you know, and, and I also thought Kansas City did a good enough job running the ball to kind of keep that pass rush honest mm-hmm. for Philadelphia. Uh, and then Philadelphia's secondary in the second half. I mean, you could see it, the animation, the reactions on plays. Uh, they were getting worked in the second half, and they never had an answer for it. No, no, they did. What about that Philly sneak? I mean, you talk about an unstoppable way to pick up a yard. A yeah. uh, couple, couple of backs just ready for the shove as soon as the ball snapped with the with the shove from behind. Uh, it, it, it's uh, it's a it's a money yard, right? Well, there. as we know, Jalen squats what ten thousand pounds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, it starts with his lower body strength, but no. Yeah, I love it, though, because any other Saturday or Sunday or Monday or Thursday, I guess it is these days, um, teams are in that shotgun on fourth and a foot. What does Philadelphia do? Yeah, They get up under center, and they sneak it from under center. And it works. You know, it's like Sex Panther and uh, Anchorman. 60% 60% of the chance it works all the time. No, no, no. About 98% yeah. of the time it works all the time for Philadelphia in those short yardage situations. I love the sneak too. I, I, you know, it's, I like quarterbacks under center, uh, especially around the, especially around the goal. You know how I am about uh shotgun around the goal line, Travis it makes me pull my hair out, but yeah, uh, I don't know about the shove from behind though. I know it's legal. Don't give me the rule book. I get, I, I know I'm not saying it's illegal, but damn, uh, I just didn't grow up with that. And I don't like it. And I don't have to like it. Get off my lawn. You know, you don't have to like it. You don't have to like it. But I, if you're not doing it and you're still lining up in the shotgun and, and, and running short yardage plays, I don't know what to tell you at this point. It, yeah. it must be it must be a smartest guy in the room thing or, or you think it is anyway. Well, you know, I, I just I don't know when. uh uh, and, and you know, offensive linemen have been doing it for years. But like when you and I were kids, you mm-hmm. didn't you didn't see a, a, a back shoving the quarterback from behind on sneaks. Um, no, ever. So uh, you know, but I, you know, it works. So I, I guess it's uh, 
I guess it's smart. You're kind of, you're kind of, uh, it's a bit of a telegraph, but you know what? I bet you Philadelphia has something in that playbook where those two backs are lined up right behind the, the, the quarterback to, to show the shove. Yeah, and they, they got some kind of play there. action off of it or something. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they do something off of that um, because it's, it, you attract a lot of attention uh, to uh, the center of the field when you do that. Yeah, when you've got Landon Dickerson at one of your guards, too, and we're both familiar with how massive and strong that dude is. Um, and then even A.J. Brown, when they put him back there in sort of that role, he's that's not a little dude either, you know, yeah. even though he's a wide receiver. So, I'll tell you what, man, Juju Smith-Schuster, too, with some big grabs there in the second half for Kansas City. If you're Juju Smith-Schuster, you got to try to hang in there with Patrick Mahomes for as long as yeah. you possibly can. Because Juju was on the verge of being like a uh, five- or six-year guy in the mm -hmm. NFL. If he can stick with uh, – you take less money, whatever you got to do. You know, you go for the longevity. You go for the long play if you're Juju. Uh, because Pat can keep you in the league for maybe 10 years. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. He's uh, He'd be smart to stay right there, Wood Smith-Schuster. All right, we're running a little long with this one, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll take uh, just a couple of more minutes, Travis, to uh, touch on Texas and OU paying that big – fee to get out of the Big 12 a year early. Um, they're going to join the league formally now in 2024. So just one more season in the Big 12 for Texas and OU. Um, kind of lines things up a little bit too, Travis, uh, with the college football playoff expansion and all that. It does. Um, and going to be very interesting, as, as we know, from a schedule standpoint. I know some people look at that, what, Hundred million for for them to to get out of that league that you talked about. In the words of Rick Flair, spilt liquor. That's what that is. <laughs> to schools and programs, athletic departments like uh, OU and Texas. And look, you know, we're Alabama's already gotten a head start on Texas, right? In the SEC, went to Austin in 2022. The Longhorns in week two coming up this season in Tuscaloosa. So. Uh, that should be fun once again, and then right into it in 2024. I like it, too, from an all-sports perspective, man. When you start thinking about the potential for hoops, obviously the Chris Beard situation in Texas and men's basketball has taken uh, some some shine off that star in that situation. Um, but baseball, sports like softball, uh, really across the board, it's, a, it's, it's two very nice additions in the Sooners and Longhorns. So there's only going to be one season now in the Big 12 where Texas and OU are competing against the schools that were recruited to replace them, right? Cincinnati, <laughs> Houston. Uh, it, it, it's uh, You think the Big 12 won't be celebrating a, a Cincinnati or a Houston win over a how – about, How about some of the calls OU and Texas might get from those Big 12 crews this year? <laughs> like Frank Drebin behind the plate and uh, yeah. naked gun. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's why I kind of thought this was going to happen, Travis. From the beginning, yeah. I was like, I was like, are you serious? They're going to play in the Big Twelve for four more. I think years? Alabama is supposed to have an SEC crew. They ought to say, no, no, no. You guys bring your crew. Bring the Big Twelve guys. You know, guys. Concede that, yeah. Yeah. 
in, in welcoming you to the league, we're going to be gracious hosts and allow you to bring a Big 12 group. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Strike that. Strike that. So, uh, yeah, one year early. I, I, they got off, uh, I believe it, I, cheaper than I thought, Travis. I thought the price tag, at least the way I'd seen it reported elsewhere, was going to be upwards of $80 million per school um, yeah. to, to get out a year early. And, and I guess they were able to get it done a little bit cheaper than that. So uh, the Big 12 finally, uh, you know, how awkward do those – uh, league meetings get too, yeah. you know, with an- another year of those, and you're the Big Twelve, mm. and you know, do do we want Texas and OU in the room for this, but not that? Yeah, you're OU and and UT. Uh, tomorrow morning, you're getting Zoom links to those meetings. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Your in person attendance will not be required. Mercy. Yeah, Zoom, right. Zoom, my boy. That is going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. I want to thank our listeners and viewers for checking in. Uh, join us next weekend for the Sunday Nighter. Travis and I will be talking more Alabama basketball and plenty more right here on the Talking Tide podcast.